hearing for the last couple of months uh, messages on family, on marriage, family, uh, and and uh, today what we're going to be talking about specifically is parenting. Train up a child, parenting. So I started out a couple of weeks ago. Um, we've had different messages, but I, I did one a couple of weeks ago called uh, "Married to Love, Not for Love." Married to Love, Not for Love, and I gave myth number one and truth number one. So for those that might remember, myth number one is what? It's like right there. You can read it. Yeah. Love is a feeling. Everybody? Right. That's a myth, right? Love's not a feeling. And we discovered love is actually a responsibility. You are, you are responsible to love those whom God has brought into your life. Oh, no man nothing except to love them, the Bible tells us. Um, and then, we, but we also learned truth number one. Truth number one is that what? Marriage is... Hard work. Marriage is hard work. Yeah, and um, everybody married should be saying that right now. But, of course, all the husbands are keeping their mouth quiet, right? But, <clears throat> yeah, marriage is hard work. So that was, that was myth number one and truth number one. So in parenting, train up a child, we're going to have myth number two and truth number two. So myth number two is this. My child's choices define my life. Myth number two, my child's choices define my life. Truth number two, uh, you can probably guess this when parenting is hard work. <laughs> Everybody, parenting is, that's right. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, you know, uh, there, there's, a, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This... Um, For a parent who has seen their child struggle, this is a hard scripture. This is a difficult scripture. Uh, for a parent who is someone who's, you know, got a, 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 a young one and they're raising them up, this is something like we want to we wanna make sure we get this right so that, that this happens. Can I tell you what this is in Proverbs? This isn't a promise. This is wisdom. It's not a promise. It is wisdom. What does that mean? There is a way in which we are to live, and when we live according to the word of God, God's word comes to pass. It doesn't overcome the choices and decisions our children might make. It doesn't overcome those choices. But it says what? That when I live in such a way that I am demonstrating the word of God, I am giving my, my children that chance to see it and to understand it. And so this takes me to myth number one. Um, I mean, myth number two, sorry. My child's choices define my life. What we're going to look at, not, not yet, but in a minute, I'm, I'm going to take a look at a video. This video is a Pastor Dan Muller, and he's talking about he went through a, a time when his children were, were making destructive choices. His children had, um, uh, had gotten involved in drugs. His son was so involved in drugs, he had, he, had, he had left home and literally went two years. He didn't know where his son was, you know, what was going on. He had no idea. Um, and, and he's praying, and he's going through this praying and, and asking God, God, you know, what did I do wrong as a parent? Or are there things that, that I need to correct? And uh, I may know that, that that's a question we're always going to ask his parents. In fact, if there's one thing I've done over and over, especially as my kids have gotten older, is regret all the things I, as I've learned things, I wish I had done differently. And I wish I had done uh, a, a different way. And, but as Dan is talking to the Lord, God asks him a question. He says, he says, Dan, he says, am I a good father? He goes, uh, yes. 
He says, do I need a parenting program? And he's like, oh, that's silly, Lord. He said, sometimes it's not the parenting, it's the child's choices. That's kind of hard, isn't it? Um, but what happens is this, as parents, and I've seen this, from infancy all the way up to adulthood, one of the things that gets in the way of our parenting is when their choices become our identity. Listen, uh, I'll, let's play this first and then I'll talk about it. Let's play the video first. So one day he knocks on the door after being gone for a very long time. He knocks on my door. My wife's out of town. I'm in the kitchen jarring tomatoes. I'm a farmer kind of guy. I'm canning tomatoes. I got the little jiggler going. I got worship going. I got tomatoes everywhere, jars. I'm like, yes. I'm just, Jesus. And I hear boom, 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 boom. And I went, that was the front door? Oh, no. I mean, I'm just tomato guy. I run to the door and I peek out. I don't see anybody. I said, I know that was the front door. I opened it and there he is standing against the wall, trembling and crying. He's 123 pounds, he's pale, and he doesn't look well. That's when you know if you know Jesus, because he caused hurt, he caused pain, it seems. He's just been going, forsook and took advantage of his upbringing and his provision, betrayed his parents. So a lot of parents believe all that I just said. So when they open the door, they don't know how to receive him. Or they say, where in the blank have you been? Do you realize, man, what, are you just back against the wall? You're out of, what, you need, you just, do you even know what you've done to the heart of your mother? That's what happens when somebody comes home broken. Because they broke so many people along the way that people don't know how to respond because they're broke. So they've been praying for the fire to go out, and then when they have a chance, they fuel it. It was so fun to see my boy on the porch because he's knocking on the door. He's home. I read the story. We always call it the story of the prodigal son. I think it's the story of a true father. I think the moral of the story is the father, not the son. Because if you take the father out, you just have a son that has regret. But you enter the father into the story, now you have restoration and redemption. Yeah? So I just looked over and I said, well, hey, buddy. Man, it's good to see you. He's crying his eyes out. And I said, man, you don't look well. Are you okay? He said, no. Can I hug you? I said, come here. He said, can I come in? I said, come on in. Wow. He came in. He said, I don't even know where to start, Dad. He just fell on me, just helpless crying. He doesn't know. He just came from this whirlwind of deception. The last thing he needs is reprimand. He knocked on the door, didn't he? He said, yeah, I know what's up his sleeve, drug addict, scammer. No, I'm going to let the goodness of God lead him to repentance. Watch this. Watch this. Watch. I don't know if you can handle this. Watch this. I'm, I'm preparing you. He can't betray me. I didn't wake up for him to love me or do me right. 
He's my son and he can't break my heart. We didn't have him, so he lives my dreams. I am not a controlling parent. I don't find my identity from my children. I love my children, but I find my identity through Jesus so that way I can see them through him. There's a difference. I've watched countless parents. You know this is true, Pastor. You've pastored. Parents lose their identity when their kids go awry. Parents implode, and there's two birds with one stone, and most of the time, three. Dad's angry and insulted, and mom's a wreck. She can't sleep at night. She's crying all night and calling it prayer. I've pastored this stuff. And I'll shake them out of that thing and say, what are you doing? You're telling me that's faith? Stop. Why isn't your light shining? Wow. You can't give to your child something that you haven't worked in your own heart. You know, it's the hardest thing in the world to have anyone who is close to you to watch them struggle, to see them struggle, to see them go through the, the, the uh, difficult choices and the destruction that life can bring when you make hard choices. And all you desire is for them to not be in the midst of it. And it tears your heart. It cuts your heart. It breaks you like it breaks the heart of God. But what reaches them isn't you. It's Jesus. The question is, is if, if, if their choices are defining you, if their choices define who you are, then exactly what is it are you giving them? You're going to give them back their own choices. But if Jesus is who defines you, how does Jesus reach for us when we've been in those places? You see, my child's choices do not define my identity. And I'm telling you, this starts at this age. Well, when we get embarrassed because our children does, do this, or when we, when we correct them and we have discipline because of their embarrassing us, rather than because we want to nourish them, nurture them and bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We teach them young. We train them young. It's about how we feel not about learning how to be who Jesus is in them. Now, I know some here might, might say, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not a parent or I don't have children. I would say to you this, the Bible says this, more are the children of the, of the barren than the one who, who produced children. In other words, we are a body of Christ. And there's not one thing that affects one person that doesn't affect someone else in the body of Christ. So even if this may not be your station in life, it's very much something you should be praying for about others around you and supporting others around you and helping to walk in others around you because we're all walking this out together. Amen? This is why we need to be interested in where each other are and what each other are going through. God did not, to quote from the, the video here, God did not give you your children to live your dreams. How many times have we seen that? But, you know, a lot of us are like, well, you know, I, I, I let my kids make their own choices and decisions. But that happens in subtle ways. So uh, I'll, um, I'll give you a, just an example in my life. Um, uh, you know, when my son was getting ready to go off to college 
and we were talking about what he was going to study and, uh, you know, where he was going to go and all that. And he, he had, nailed, uh, he had um, kind of boiled it down to two places, and he ended up choosing HBU, uh, Houston Baptist University. And, I mean, that's a whole God story. It's an amazing testimony for another time. But then we're like, okay, what are you going to study, buddy? What, what is it you wanna, that, that you want to, um, uh, you know, spend your next four years working on? He says, well, I want to I learn biblical Hebrew and bi- biblical Greek. I'm like, okay, fantastic. And, yeah, some of you are getting it. Okay, yeah, you want to study biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek. Oh, great. I'm glad you want to do that. Biblical language is important. You'll be able to read the scriptures in original language and understand all that. What else are you going to study? And I mean, I was like, okay, how about like international business or how about, because uh, uh, he, he was interested in international things. And so I was like, what about international business or what about medical field, you know, because he, he's a very compassionate person and, and about this. And, and we, you know, I kept trying to work all these other things into the major with him. Why? Because this was my concern. But I realized if I were to tell you the whole story, the reason why he was where he was is because he prayed, God was leading him, and he was going in the direction, and I told him ahead of time, you pray, you seek God, we'll support you. And here he's doing all that, and when he comes up with what he believes God's leading him in, and look, it doesn't mean that as a parent I don't try to bring wisdom, but I wasn't just trying to bring wisdom, I was subtly trying to bring more. And God convicted me. He convicted me. And I just went, uh, you know what, buddy? All this other isn't going to work out. If this is what you believe God's called you to do and this is what you want to do, I'm going to support you in it. But what I'm asking is that you've prayed and you know this is how God's leading you. He said, yes, I have, and I believe that, and I'm supporting you in that. But as parents, this is what we do, right? Okay, so we'll go up to some other parents, and your, your child is doing this, and your child is doing that. And somebody else saying, you'll talk about your children. What are your children doing? Oh, my children are doing this, or my children are doing that. And what are yours? And I've, I got these looks, right? I got them. What's your child? Oh, he's studying biblical Hebrew and Greek. Oh, what's he going to do with that? And all of a sudden, it's once again, I've got to fight off the world. Is it going to be my dreams? Or is it going to be, be me standing behind my son, walking his walk out with the Lord? This is real stuff. So we all know about the extremes where parents literally try to organize everything in their child's life. But I'm, that's one thing. But I'm also saying the subtleties in which we need to pay attention and repent of. Our identity is in Christ. You don't want to give your children your identity. You want to give them Christ's identity. That's how, when they make the wrong choices, when they go through the hard things in life, we recognize that they're hurting themselves, not us. And instead of getting angry and and insulted, our heart breaks for them, but our identity doesn't break. We cry for them, not for ourselves. Now, no matter how many mistakes you've made as a parent, 
you begin to live the identity of Christ now. My kids are both grown. One's, you know, most of you know, one's 28 years old. He's, he's actually in Israel right now trying to get his visa. He had to leave the country for his visas to get situated. He lives and works in Ethiopia. My daughter lives in, in South Carolina. She's in, in Greenville, so we get to see him over, over um, WhatsApp. But today, right now, to this day, I still have conversations with them about things that I didn't do correctly or I need to repent of in my life. You see, the more I discover my identity in the Christ, the more that's what I want to give. It doesn't matter if my child's an infant or my child's an adult. I want them to have Christ. So if I discover things that I've done wrong, I, I can. I, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Guilt and shame does not help my, ter- my child. Jesus does. So myth number one, my child's choices define my life. No, Jesus defines my life. Truth number, I'm sorry, that was myth number two. Truth number two, parenting is hard work. Parenting is hard work. So here's a fact for you. Um, children are not born good. Anybody know that? I'm, I'm going to quote here. This is from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said this. He said, look at a good man who has a bad son. You want to know the reason? In the first place, children do not inherit grace. Because fathers and mothers are good, meaning they've inherited grace, that is no reason why their children should be good. Children are not born good. Men may talk of goodness, but I don't find it. Goodness must come down from the Father of light. To have a good nature, a man must be born of God. Listen, what happens for us as Christians is we automatically assume because we're a Christian, our children are. Because we believe that they will. I would submit to you that it is our responsibility to win our children to Jesus, to win our children to the Lord. Look, how many, how many have, I mean, let's make it real, you know, because we're being a little honest this morning. How many had to teach their children to be selfish? How many had to teach their children to say no or mine? What do you have to teach them? No, we share. Right? Now, I remember when I was old enough that I could figure out sharing. I had younger brothers and sisters, and you take the chocolate bar, you break it in half, and then you're fighting over the bigger one. That's all right, I'll bite it off. There, now they're the same size. (laughs) Now, you don't have to teach your children to do that. Listen, Proverbs puts it this way. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, don't get, I know as soon as people hear rod, there's half, the, half the room's going, yeah, you need to pull out the rod and spank him. The other half of the room's going, oh, that's abuse. Listen, what it's talking about is we need godly discipline in our lives. That's what the rod is. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, says the psalmist. We need godly discipline in our lives. It doesn't just happen. If we don't apply discipline to our lives, it won't happen. We are born with folly in our hearts. It has to be worked out of us. Here, let me put it to you this way. Parenting is hard work, 
Because to parent well, we need to demonstrate the discipline we expect of our children. Why is it so quiet this morning? If you understand discipline that way, you understand what the rod is. The rod that you apply to your life in disciplining yourself and allowing the Lord to discipline you is what you want to bring your child up in. Right, let me, here's, a, here's an example. This was in, um, R.G. Letourneau was talking about this. Um, he was talking about, uh, for those that don't know, R.G. Letourneau is the founder of um, Letourneau University. And uh, he also had a, a huge earth-moving company back, back during World War II and just amazing things. He, was, he, he lived his whole, uh, um, once he came to the Lord, he lived his whole life for the Lord. And he got to a point where, um, he was, they had so much income coming in, he told his wife, we don't need all this money, we can do more than 10%, and, and his wife, uh, we could do 50% for the Lord and 50% for ourselves, and his, and his wife says, uh, we don't need 50%, we'll live on the 10 and give 90 to the Lord, and ultimately, that's what started Letourneau University, and um, so he was telling the story about his dad, who, uh, that he was having business dealings with this guy, and he pulls up, and he's in this cart, and this guy does some horribly awful things to him in the business dealing. And his father, I mean, his ire is up. He is ready to really lay into this guy for what he's done. And then R.G. looks over and sees his son in the cart. And he realizes that he's about to demonstrate something to his son he doesn't want to demonstrate. And he, sa- and, and he, goes, uh, he goes, all right, you know, and, and you, he says out loud, all right, Lord, I hear this. And he, what does he do? He disciplines himself so as not to act in the way he doesn't want his son to act. You see, this is the first part of discipline. This is why it's hard work. Part of the hard work is this. is What is your heart for your child? I would submit to you to set your heart on one thing. Set your heart on one thing, to have your children in glory. Do you care more about your child's faith than anything else you could possibly give them in this life? This is the the Apostle John. He wrote this. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Matthew Jesus said this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? I have a lengthy quote here I'm going to read. This is Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He wrote this in 1873. And the reason why I'm quoting it is because listen to how exactly applicable it is to us today. This is one of his sermons. He said, I fear that many, even among professors of religion, they look for other joy in their children and care little whether they are walking in truth or not. They joy in them if they have a healthy body, but they're not saddened through the leprosy of sin that remains upon them. They joy in their comely looks that they look good, but they don't inquire whether they have found favor in the sight of God. They look good before God. They put their girls' feet in silver slippers, and and many heads of families would never raise a question as to whether she walks the broad or the narrow road. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life, Jesus said. 
It's very grievous to see how some professedly Christian parents are satisfied so long as their children display cleverness in learning or sharpness in business, although they have no signs of a renewed nature. If they pass their examinations with credit, promise to be well-fitted for the world's battle, their parents forget that there is a superior conflict involving a higher crown for which the child will need to be fitted by divine grace and armed with the whole armor of God. Alas, if our children lose the crown of life, but it will be a small consolation that they have won the laurels of literature or art. Many who ought to know better think themselves superlatively blessed in their children if they become rich and they marry well. If they strike out into profitable enterprises in trade, or if they attain eminence in the profession in which they have espoused, their parents will go to their beds rejoicing and awake perfectly satisfied, though their boys are hastening down the hell. They're also making money by the bushel. They have no greater joy than that their children are having their portion in this life, laying up treasure where rust corrupts though neither their sons nor daughters show any signs of the new birth, give no evidence of rich, being rich towards God, manifest no traces of electing love or redeeming grace or the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, yet their parents, yet there are parents who are content with their condition. Look, do we want good things for our children? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with wanting good things for your children. But what does it profit if they literally gain everything and lose their soul? Well, if the reason why parenting is hard work is that's literally our number one responsibility as parents. It's not the churches. It's not the children's leader in Sunday school. It's not the youth minister. Yeah, they're all there to help. They're all there to assist. That's your responsibility and mine. I literally, we, we literally started to try to win our kids to the Lord from the womb. We began to tell them about Jesus. Told our kids as infants, mommy and daddy have chosen to follow Jesus. That's our choice. You will have to make your own choice. We didn't assume that was the choice they were going to make. We didn't know. We prayed. We hoped. But we told them from infancy, you are going to have to make your own choice. Every one of us is responsible to God. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. You're going to have to make your own choice and decision. We all stand in rebellion to God. We all stand in rebellion to God. We have to make the choice to receive the way out of that ourselves. And as a parent, as much as I desire all those good things for my child, which I do, there's nothing I could desire more than to know that they have chosen in their own life Both of our children came to us at the age, well, uh, Isaac was, uh, was two years and 11 months. Diane calls me at work and says, Isaac wants to receive Jesus. I was like, he's, th- he's not even three yet. He can't do that. Well, he's telling me that he does. I didn't tell him. I mean, we've been telling him he had to make the choice. I called 
Lee, who was the pastor, and I said, Isaac wants to pray to receive Jesus. What should I do? He says, why don't you pray with him? <laughs> Didn't think about that. So I went home, and I sat him down. I said, what is it you want to do? Now, he explained it like a three-year-old, but he explained it. Look, Jesus died for my sins. I want to receive him. Can I pray? I was like, yeah, let's pray. That little boy was changed. That little boy was changed. 21 months later, actually 20 months later, because his sister's going to one-up him at two years and 10 months, Diane calls me at work and says, Brenda wants to pray to receive Jesus. I was like, what? Yeah, she's like, she won't leave me alone. I come home, and I walk in the door. Brenda greets me, grabs me by my hand, says, come on, Daddy, we're praying. I'm receiving Jesus. But let me tell you what she used to say before that. One day, I remember this specifically, we're riding in the car before this, and we're singing songs to the Lord. We're singing uh, the song, Joy is the Flag Flown High from the Castle of My Heart. And after we're finished singing, this little two-year-old sitting in the back goes, yeah, you and Bubby and Mommy, you've all prayed to receive Jesus. I haven't done that yet. Your children are human beings who know things, who understand things. They have been created by God. He desires them, and they know and understand. My, my wife, uh, um, it was a church we helped plant years ago, and she helped get the, the nursery ministry going in, in, this, uh, um, in this church. And she literally would take these nursery babies, and she had a whole nursery curriculum where she was preaching the gospel to these little kids in the nursery. And she had this one couple who had a, who had a child in that nursery and, uh, who came up and says, you want us to do this curriculum? They're babies. They won't know any of this. About three months later, they're on. My 18 month is singing songs to Jesus. <sighs> Discipline your child in love. Parenting is hard work. The writer of Hebrews says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Jump down to verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us when we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen. Everybody should say amen to that. Rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen, discipline does not mean punish. Discipline is to help them establish the behaviors that lead to the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I remember when I first started working with, walking with the Lord and I was in my early 20s. I had a friend named John who, who had uh, um, was, uh, just started walking with God, who had not been disciplined in his life at all. Literally, his parents let him do whatever he wanted to do. And he said, this is what he said. This was his confession. He said, you know what? I never learned how to take the trash out as a kid. And as an adult, I don't want to do the things I need to do as an adult. I'm telling you, it's much easier to learn it as a kid. But one day, we're all going to have to learn them. 
not about punishing. I'll give you another example. Diane, <laughs> I don't know where she learned it. She's amazing mom. I learned so much. Still learning. But she was doing this thing called sitting training. Anybody ever heard of sitting training? Yeah, neither did I. So she'd done this thing with sitting training. She took them. I don't, how old were they when you first started this? Okay, but so okay, so Isaac was less than two years old. So, um, so what it would do? He'd, she'd sit him on the sofa, and she'd start out with thirty seconds, and he would have to sit still for thirty seconds. And then it went to a minute, and then it went to a minute and a half, and it went well, because she's 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 home with with she's pregnant with one, she's got the other, and she's trying to figure out how she can handle both. And and so it got to the point where these kids they would have one time her mother calls her and she says, um, "I'll call you right back." Um, she goes, "Why?" She says, "Well, I'm doing sitting training." She says, "You're doing what?" She says, "I'll tell you later." She goes, "What is sitting training? That's crazy." Except later. When these kids are four and five, three and four and five, she would go to the doctor's office. She'd sit them in the chair, and they would sit there quietly with their coloring books and with their books and everything and be left alone. And she'd go back, have her appointment. She'd come out, and the kids would get with her. And you know what everybody else said? Oh, you're so lucky. Oh, your kids are so good. My kids could never do that. They didn't know that my son was a strong-willed child. Textbook, textbook, strong-willed child. There was a couple of times she had to call me at work. She couldn't handle it. Well, that's when I had to learn things because I didn't discipline in love. I used to think you fight fire with fire. Some of us are too easy. Some of us are too hard. You need to know who you are and you need to fix it. I don't know which one you are, but I was too hard. She calls me at work one day, and she says, Isaac is literally, she's calling her name. She's th- he's throwing stuff. He, she cannot handle him. He's about five. So I come home, and I, I had learned some lessons. I was going through working on me, repentance. And this particular time, I, I grab him by the hand, and we're walking back to the bedroom. He goes, yeah, I'm going to get punished, and I deserve it. We go back there, and I sit in the chair, and I put him on my lap, and I just start rocking in the chair. I said, you're really angry, aren't you, buddy? He goes, yeah. I said, well, if I was thinking and feeling all the things you were feeling, I'd be angry too. He just broke down and started crying. You know, the sub-subs. And I said, you did some... Difficult and hard things to mommy. We're going to have to take care of those things, aren't we? Yeah. And I learned because if you're the personality type that's going to be a high discipline and you're going to always be pushing, I needed to learn how to say yes. And so I began to try to find every way that I could to say yes to my kid for any at kids to anything that they wanted. Now, some of us already say yes to everything, and we're and, and that's the type that needs to learn how to say no. That's learning to discipline in love. It's learning to discipline in love. Look, if you're angry and frustrated, oh, how many times I would discipline because I was angry and frustrated. This time you got to step back because what I'm teaching my kids 
is there's a line you crossed with me, and that's what's right or wrong, is my line. And so what do they learn to deal with other people? Find their lines, and that's what's right and wrong. Instead of stepping aside and then coming back later and saying, you know, we need to take care of this. Parenting is hard work. The last thing I'm going to mention, we'll close out with this, is to teach them diligently. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Do you notice in the same verse it says to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might is to teach that diligently to your children. And what is it? how do you teach it diligently to the children? Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hands. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, we teach it by being intentional about it. We don't teach it by taking them to church and expecting church to teach them and then thinking it's going to. We teach them because Jesus is in here and Jesus is in here and that's what I'm teaching them. I'm living it in front of them. I'm modeling it in front of them. And I'll tell you the number one way we model it. The number one way we model it is when we get it wrong. This is number two way. There is a number one. This is number two. When we get it wrong, we own up to it. The number one way by deciding that Jesus is number one in our lives. Not my wife, not my spouse, not my career, not my goals, Jesus. And when I make Jesus number one in my life, then I begin to live him before them. But number two is my own repentance. I'll leave you with this. Um, Brenda came to us when she was a uh, freshman in college. And this was at a Christian school, and they had uh, eight eight girls. They got together, all brand new freshmen, and they started. They talk, they decided they wanted to talk about their testimonies. What they're going to do? Tell their testimonies, and it turned into talking about their families. And she said, "Daddy, it broke my heart because these there were many girls there who come from really good families." And she said every single one of them complained about their parents. Every single one of them. And when it came to me, I just that they're silent. Now, listen, that may sound like I'm like, you know, talking about how good of a parent was. My question was, I'll give you plenty that you could have said. She said, no, you don't understand. We know you're not perfect. We know you're not perfect. It's not that you were perfect. It's that when five-year-old Brenda, when you yelled at five-year-old Brenda, and you were wrong. You went to five-year-old Brenda, and you owned it without putting anything on her. You gave her the dignity of being a real human being. And I'm telling you, not but three or four months ago, my son said the same thing to my wife. You were perfect. It's that you own it. You own it. 
you're diligent to make this thing we call our faith real. So, we talked about marrying to love rather than for, for love. Myth number one, love is a feeling. Truth number one, marriage is hard work. This morning we talked about parenting, train up a child. Myth number two, my child's choices define my life. They don't define your life. Jesus does. Truth number two, it's hard. It's crazy hard. But that's the life that Jesus gives us, that we can come to him in the midst of it, and he brings life. He brings life. There's redemption in Jesus. That's what we want. Redemption in Jesus. There's new life in Jesus. There's strength in Jesus. There's an identity in Jesus. And when we get that identity, that's what it is we want to give to our kids. Amen.